Welcome to the OMR Podcast International. I'm your host, Scott Peterson, international content developer at OMR Today. I am joined by Kevanch Seaman and Thomas Regier from DataGuard, a Munich-based holistic SaaS platform providing its clients and customers support for all data-related issues. Since launching in 2018, they have raised over 61 million euros in capital and expanded its services to include data privacy, information security, and compliance, growing it into a one-stop shop for data issues. Thomas and Kivanch opened up about bootstrapping the company, common misconceptions about privacy versus performance, and overarching privacy and data challenges facing companies big and small today. So if you are one of the thousands just like me who know they need to take the matter seriously but have no idea where to start, then, ladies and gentlemen, this episode is for you. All right, well, I'm very pleased right now to be joined by DataGuard co-founders and CEO, Thomas and Kivanch. Gentlemen, how are we doing this morning? Very well. Thanks for having us, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Excellent. My pleasure. I'm very happy to have both of you here, and I'm really looking forward to our talk today because... um, I can honestly say it's a topic I really know nothing to very little about Um, when you get down to it. um, There are times when I have guests on where I at least think that I have a little bit of common ground, some frame of references with their business, but that's not really the the case today with you two. Um, And I don't think I'm alone because data privacy, compliance, and security, it's one of those topics that everyone seems to be happy to outsource. Um, Everybody knows they need it, but we don't really want to think about it if we don't have to. It's too complex, too much of a headache, too risky, and that one minor, easy to make mistake, can have massive ramifications. And it kind of seems like that mindset is something that DataGuard is seeking to address, at least in my research for this. How how would you guys see what DataGuard is and and who you're trying to address? Yeah, that's right. I mean, core purpose has been since day one, protect the people behind the data. And I think the way we go about it is we work with companies pretty much of all Mm -hmm. sizes. We started with really small businesses and then kind of worked our way up, work with mid-market businesses, larger businesses now as well. And um, yeah, just try and get them to comply with frameworks and obtain certifications such as GDPR, ISO 27001, NIST2, TSAC, SOC2. And like you said, I think this is something where a lot of the times they lack the in-house expertise and they also lack the software to, you know, create the documentation, have a task management in place, and so forth and so forth. But yeah, it's really also the expertise to kind of deal with data breaches and and so on that uh, that I guess makes makes a lot of them work with us. Yeah, so it's like you, uh, your software is a service company, uh, a one-stop shop for data protection, I would I would say. Like you, you offer and you bundle mm-hmm. all of the services. Um, you have different kind of um, focus products, I would say, um, which we'll get into a little bit later. And when when did you guys found the company? Two thousand nineteen. Two thousand eighteen, we launched. 18. Yeah, in Munich. Okay, and and who would you say is your target group? You mentioned that you have companies of all different shapes and sizes, but where are they located? How big are they? Yes, I think it was really the advent of GDPR in twenty eighteen, and again, a lot of especially small, medium sized companies not quite knowing how to deal with it and how to work towards compliance. Um, So we really started, uh, we used to say with, uh, I guess, data privacy for civilians Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, just try to build a platform, build a solution that normal 
people can understand, you know, normal marketing manager, a normal, normal HR normal leader. Podcast right. host. You didn't have to be a normal podcast host. You didn't have to be, yeah, like you said, you didn't have to be, you know, a compliance and security nerd to work with our solution. And so that's where mm-hmm. we started. And then over the last couple of years, and, and I guess we can get into that later, but we, we worked our way up market and we, in a way, we build a broader platform. So we really went from data privacy for SMEs, small, medium-sized enterprises, to a broader all-in-one compliance and security suite. Okay. And um, how many people do you employ right now? We are 250 people across four offices, Munich, Berlin, Vienna, and London. And um, yeah, taking care of more than 3,000 customers. Not bad. Not bad at all. From 2018 to now, it does the math. Six years, almost. Mm-hmm. Getting there. Pretty good. Um, so now, let's talk about the two of you. So co-founders, co-CEOs, how did you two meet? It's a funny story. Uh, I have migrant background, as you might know. We both also um, share a couple of other interests, being sports and also uh, yeah, school and education. And that's mm-hmm. how it came together. We were 15, um, we're in a basketball camp. And since then, and it's more than 20 years, um, we have been really close friends, but at the same time also yeah, co-founders. So it's Thomas and my third company that we founded together. Really? What were the other two, just out of curiosity? Remarkably unsuccessful businesses. So um, we started uh, right after undergrad when we were 21. We tried to sell energy efficient houses in in, uh, Latin America and that that just didn't didn't go so well and then we uh, gave up moved uh, moved to berlin and started an edtech company and that was back then when you know edx and coursera and all these kind of massive online open courses platforms in the in the us were all the rage uh, and that's when we when we founded our own edtech but it it didn't work mm-hmm. out that well um, and so eventually there was this moment and we both remember that vividly when uh, we sat at, uh, I think it was Rosenthaler Platz, um, and we were eating kind of chicken and uh, doner kebab a couple of days before Christmas. And just, it was a low point. We we just thought, oh man, this this is not working. We should be doing something else and kind of gave up uh, in the end. Okay, well then, uh, but uh, I think uh, most uh, founders and entrepreneurs, um, they have a few failures under their belt and their resumes, but they always seem to learn something from them. So maybe the question to both of you, like what are like one or two big learnings from those failures? I think pick the right market was definitely one. I think both times, um, uh, you know, we we picked markets that were still kind of evolving. Um, and maybe that's true for, you know, security and compliance mm-hmm. software as well. But um, certainly kind of pick, you know, uh, run run in the right race. Uh, otherwise, it's, it's, it's very hard to win kind of an uphill battle if the market isn't there. Um, so I think that was a big, big learning. Um, and then the other one was really also kind of... Uh, yeah, how quickly can you get to market, and how how long do you need to build out a software or or a solution? And in our in in the case of our first startup, I guess an energy efficient house, you know, to um to get to market. And I I think how how quickly can you get there was was definitely a big um big learning and building something that we could bring to customers pretty much from from day one and 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 build the plane while flying, learn from customers as we built out the the, the solution. Yeah. And additionally, um, I would say that execution being key and the secret sauce to be successful. I think having a good idea is amazing. Um, but I think executing on them, be it 
uh, having a team, being close to the customers, sometimes even pivot a bit and um, adapt the original strategy um, is something that I think we yeah, learned and trained over years. I'm sure you know this 10,000 hours rule. I think the more you do, the mm -hmm. better you get. And I think the same for entrepreneurial um, life. And at the same time, on a positive side, we both knew that we would found together one day again. So even um, we failed twice, we knew that we wanted to have a friend where you trust 100%, but also someone that's complementary. Um, perhaps you've seen that we have different backgrounds, um, like education-wise, I'm more computer science background, Thomas is more business, and I think having complementary skill set is really, really helpful also for a founder team. Sure. I was actually going to uh, discuss just that um, because uh, the way the two of you just answered my question, uh, Thomas, you're talking about the product to market fit and Kivanch, you just immediately went to execution and repetition. Um, I was going to ask how you guys see your skill sets complementing, but I think you guys did that for me. Um, I mean, we're, we're a bit like an in, insufferable, inseparable old couple uh, at this point. You know how in a, in a relationship after 20 years, there's not that that many surprises, uh, you know, both in terms of skill set and, and character and so on. I think, yeah, we're complementary and uh, uh, we've we've seen it all. For sure, but it's very helpful. You know exactly like where your area of expertise kind of like stops and where the other ones, uh, somebody else's picks up and you can just kind of like work up to that point and you pass it off. Work smarter, not harder. Ideally, yeah. Yeah, not always, yeah, yeah, but mostly. Yeah. <laughs> so then, okay, so you guys met on the hardwood, and then you pivoted to hardware. Um, and so when Datacard was launched in 2018, um, just curious about the genesis of, of the company. Like, how did the idea kind of come about? What was the, was there a eureka moment? Was there just something where, Thomas, you recognized the product market fit? Kifanchi was like, okay, that's something that we can just run multiple iterations of to fine tune the product. Walk me through the genesis. Yeah, um, it started with a customer insight at scale, um, which was um, me taking care of more than 200 customers in privacy and InfoSec uh, before founding DataGuard. It was a quite manual way. I used to do it as a consultant um, prior to DataGuard. And um, we saw GDPR coming and still not a scalable solution combining uh, deep tech, but also expertise, which was the core of the learning uh, it was exactly what customers needed. Mm -hmm. And when we said, okay, hey, Thomas, I think it's the third time to found this together. Um, but I knew that, yeah, going back to what I said before, that I needed someone to scale uh, for the commercial skill set. And that's how I convinced Thomas to come back uh, from the US where he, he used to live before. All right. And so then talked about a little bit about the speed to getting the product off the ground, Thomas. Like, How long did it take you guys to go from conception to launch? Like, How many iterations did you have to go through until you really got it up and running? Um, so I think one thing that was special was that we had customers pretty much since day one because we started with a managed service and then kind of, you know, had experts mm -hmm. in-house and built the product around it. So I'll give you an example, you know, in kind of February, March 2018, when, when we launched the uh, the solution, um, we had small, medium-sized enterprises. And by the way, from uh, all different kinds of industries, right? So it was uh, fast-growing tech businesses, but it was also industrial companies or uh, marketing agencies. And so we were working with them to kind of, you know, get their privacy policies done, um, go through an audit with them and ask them what kinds of data do you guys process? Where do you store it? Who has access? Who, Which partners do you pass it on to? Which tools do you use? Um, so we went through the, these, these mm -hmm 
mm-hmm. audits, across all business processes, and then documented all of that, right? Uh, and and issued kind of a gap analysis, a bunch of recommendations, and then really worked with these businesses to become more secure and to become to become more compliant. And um, you know, we kind of did that since since day one, but we just kept productizing different areas of the product. And and by the way, there's some areas of of privacy uh, and compliance management or, or, or information security management that um, you cannot fully automate, right? And then you cannot do with a software platform. And so for that, you know, for instance, when you're dealing with a data mm-hmm. breach or when the regulatory authorities are coming and, and asking questions. So, you know, from day one, we kind of had these experts in-house and until today, uh, we we also provide kind of services um, that that are complementary with the software solution. All right, um, then maybe let's dig di- deeper a little bit right now about uh, on the product. So you just mentioned like you have a suite of products. Um, you have three primary products, as far as I can tell you: privacy as a service, infosec as a service, and compliance as a service. Um, Maybe walk me through each of those. Which ones do each of those address? Um, maybe kind of the customer journey as well. Like when people approach you, um, how how does one kind of adapt and incorporate DataGuard as a product? Yeah, perhaps let me start with the overview and then happy to jump on the customer um, journeys. I think we strongly mm-hmm. believe that both SMB and mid-market customers need one provider taking care of all the three product lines that you said. So mm-hmm. I think that is um, our ultimate vision. It's, I think, great to see that a lot of customers buy into it. And um, so some customers, like the example that Thomas said, tech company re- with a recruiting angle growing really fast, they started with privacy and their only goal was first was us making them GDPR compliant. And we worked on them uh, quite a long. And then over time, they saw a pressure from their big enterprise customers we like um, BMW and Volkswagen saying, oh, if you don't have ISO certifications, we can't mm-hmm. do business anymore. So there was another push. This time is what not a regulation pushing it. It was the B2B pressure coming on the market. And then came to us and said, hey, guys, can't we do the same thing with a great technology and with um, experts for InfoSec? That's what we did. Um, and then um, now we have a lot of ISO customers, but also TSEC customers, a German framework and other additional frameworks in InfoSec um, with the same approach, education, people, documentation, as tech stack and, and so on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the third big thing is uh, right now in the compliance sector, whistleblowing. Um, there's a EU directive forcing uh, companies with more than 50 employees now um, having a whistleblowing solution where we added this um, yeah, together with our partner company QS, where we could say, okay, we not only offer privacy, but also InfoSec and now also broader compliance. And um, the beauty for them is the same UX, same project manager, same platform and one provider um, helping them on all three challenges. All right. Well, when it comes to whistleblowing, then I assume like there's a, a certain degree of anonymity that is built into it, and it streamlines the entire process. Exactly. Okay. That's the same. The case. All right. And then, so then, um, so you kind of walk me through like each of those uh, primary products. Um, if I have, let's just say, just an e-commerce shop, and I want to kind of get up to snuff and then make sure that everything is okay, like how would that work? I would contact you. You would audit my company. And then you'd offer me products. So like, how does this go about? So you would come in with your e-commerce shop day one, and you would, you know, 
be sold into a package. Um, we have kind of you know these these kind of monthly subscription, yearly subscription plans, just like every mm -hmm. other software as a service company. Um, a couple of people on your team. It depends on how big the shop is. Obviously, right? We have we have really small kind of. 10, 15 person companies that, that we work with. Um, and say you're a medium sized, you know, say 100, 200 uh, uh, person mm -hmm. startup, um, you'd probably get um, yourself as the founder and then maybe your, uh, you know, legal counsel and your IT person, you, uh, your marketing manager, you would get kind of three, four, five people in the uh, company to sign up for the software mm -hmm. solution, right? And um, they, from day one, would start kind of filling out questionnaires. We have a bunch of integrations that also um, uh, that also extract, again, which tools you work with, where that kind of personal data lies, etc. Um, and we would start creating the documentation. Um, so we kind of document all your business processes, and we would issue a set of recommendations so that you guys can actually start operationalizing privacy. And then you use a bunch of ongoing features, such as a privacy policy generator. There's a tool for data subject requests. So as a as an e-commerce mm -hmm. shop, right, you might have uh, customers or you might have partners who, who send you kind of data subject requests, um, and we will help you process them. So if someone asks you to delete their data, um, we, we will have kind of a workflow automation that helps you do that. And it's the same thing with data processing agreements, right, that you sign with your partners um, or your customers um, that regulate kind of the, the exchange of, of personal data. Um, bunch of technical and, and organizational mm -hmm. measures that you have to work through and again document. So all of these things uh, are, are areas that um, you do primarily kind of self-serve via the platform, but also with the support of uh, an expert team on our okay. end. So I, I would contact you. Um, one of your uh, privacy experts would take a look at everything, help me with the integrations, help me fill out all the necessary paperwork and all that, and then slowly, step-by-step, step, get it integrated. And then I assume you also have a robust um, offer of after-sales services to make sure that everything is running and data breaches, all that sort of thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, I mean, if you look at some of the differences in maturity, you have kind of lower maturity uh, companies that are kind of at the beginning of their privacy or information security mm -hmm. journey. Some of them have quite literally done nothing in in that area yet right so very often we are we're the first vendor especially in the sme uh, segment that they've ever worked with um and then in the mid market and in, in in bigger corporates that's obviously very different right so one thing that's important to them from day one is to make sure that everything they've done in the past uh you know the, the documents and policies and and so forth that that's easily imported into our platform and you know also kind of dealing with more complex um enterprise uh topics such as entity orchestration or binding corporate rules uh, mm -hmm. global global kind of data transfer those are those are the topics that they're um, they're interested in. All right. Yeah. And the beauty of it is that the more mature the company gets, the more upside they also see with compliance and security. I think it starts with in your intro that people tend to see all this exercise as a check the box exercise, and you will have to do. But the more mature they get, um, they see also an upside. So in your e-commerce um, example, it would be. Having a data guard badge on their website, also building trust to their B2C customers and more and more people really care about at least having a right um, to decide where the data is processed, um, being EU and other countries. And, and I think that's yeah what we are also most proud of if we can yeah, educate the market on the higher maturity levels that there's also an upside of it. 
And the other bit, uh, which is also important, and I think there everyone can relay on is risks. I think it's all about mitigating risks. And mm -hmm. even if the CEO says, I don't care about compliance and I'm here to take risks, which we all do as an entrepreneur, they all want to protect their company and they all want to mitigate those risks in a feasible way. And I think that's the angle where we typically then convince um, yeah, everyone and saying, see, this not only is a check the box, but hopefully also an upside and at least um, something that protects your company, both in privacy, but also especially in InfoSec. No, when I was uh, going through... Um some of the uh, some of my research uh, on DataGuard and what it is that you guys are doing, um, I, I found like a little info sheet, um, which I, I thought. And one of the things that kind of jumped out at me was this phrase that um, uh, you like to operationalize privacy from a single source of truth. Could you tell me exactly what that means? Because it sounds really good, but at the same time, I don't know what that means. What we mean by that is we become the single source of truth for for anything that's kind of privacy information security and compliance and that's all the way down to the consent and stack level so we bought mm -hmm. a company in 2021 that does consent and preference management so i'll give you an example uh, you know one of our customer is a big train operator in the uk um, and if you log on to the wi-fi on the train um, you agree to certain data processing but you can also opt out of certain things like marketing campaigns for instance right and so all of that is logged and it what we do is we provide the kind of B2C interface, but we also help the train operator kind of manage consent and preferences uh, on their end, but also really target their marketing campaigns, right? And increases opt-in rates, it drives their kind of marketing ROI. But we do become the single source of truth for user consent. And at the same time, we have all this information from the ongoing audit processes, right? And, and, and kind of documentation of all privacy, information security, compliance activities at the customer. And so bringing those two together gives you a lot of knowledge about the processes of the company. But you really also become the single source of truth for any kind of um, movement on, on, on that front, right? And we do think... Being there at that level, it, it, you, you're almost like the compliance ops mm -hmm. layer or security ops layer for for that company, and that's that's where kind of the the, the single source. So of the truth fundament uh, on which like all of their privacy matters and stuff are built. It's just you guys form the base. That's right, and you know one of our investors in the Series B was uh, Bastino Minacha, the founder of Salonis. Mm -hmm. You know the big kind of German uh, process mining scale up. And uh, we were saying to him, this is where you can, you can look at us like a plankton fish, you know, we're kind of uh, collecting all these data points about uh, companies and about how they go about privacy, information, security, and compliance. But we obviously also go into kind of the consent and the, the stack level. And Scott, I think going back to the example that we gave before. So if you come to more mature companies, they typically would have documentation and privacy Handling mm -hmm. by one department or person, and then enforcing someone else, and then complying someone else, and that doesn't make sense because they're all interlinked. And typically, the CFO, or the CEO wants to have an overview. I think that's exactly what Thomas said. But there's also a macro trend. If you look at software and software as a service right now, a year ago there were like hundreds of solutions. Yeah, so everyone was able to buy with a credit card this solution, and mm -hmm. and I think we see a big consolidation in general, um, even outside of compliance security. Say, hey, I want to have less uh, providers. It's in general cheaper, especially if we take the internal complexity efforts of the organization. So um, that's also macro. See, I think that we see uh, globally on software as a service that less providers is better. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. It makes sense. And uh, you mentioned uh, the the funding a minute ago. 
Um, that was uh, in 2022, I believe, was the last round of funding that you had. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. 2022, we raised the Series, series B. B. And in 2020, we raised a, a Series A. And the, the, the Series B, um, with that capital, you uh, used it, I think, primarily to expand the, the InfoSec and, and consent sectors? Or am I... Yeah. yeah? Okay. Yeah, we did, and and for some international expansion mm-hmm. um, as well, but mainly really to kind of build out the product suite um, and uh, yeah, grow grow the breadth of the platform. Because, like Kevin just said, I think right now in in SaaS you see that kind of um, trend towards the compound startup, yeah, you know, kind of the multi-product uh, platform mm-hmm. rather than the point solution. And I mean, that was also or is also something that uh, you know uh, people increasingly talk about is almost kind of the death of the point solution, which I suppose it's something that we very much, um, it's basically something that we strongly, very strongly believe Mm -hmm. in is that companies shouldn't use a patchwork of point solutions. Um, And then, you know, employees and external service providers and so forth because that patchwork is really really inefficient and usually is very costly i'll I'll give you an example from an industrial company that uh, we spoke to the other day you know they have global operations they've got pwc doing uh, a nist 2 readiness assessment Mm -hmm. they have uh, other external service providers smaller consulting firms on the it side they have a whole bunch of uh, it security solutions that they bought you know from pen testing to uh yeah like i said earlier data subject uh, request management and mm-hmm. so forth um plus they have internal teams uh working on it and i think what we would like to do with companies like that is just kind of pull them onto one platform provide them with one single source of truth because for them interoperability um and and kind of uh, sharing data across multiple entities in dozens of countries is super important and and using a patchwork different one for every country uh we just think doesn't doesn't make sense fair enough and you mentioned platform and i wanted to get to this at some point and now is as good a time as any um you mentioned in 2022 that you expanded a little bit of like the the product suite and uh i think moving forward in the next few years you set a couple of targets for around 2025 2026 that you want to expand into this whole platform thought this platform model um Kind of walk me through that vision. I mean, you guys have been talking about a little bit uh, as far as like consolidate the market's consolidating itself. You want to get rid of like these like point solutions to like give somebody this single source of truth, this like one-stop shop of data privacy matters. Um, like how do you how do you see this like th- this trend and this vision playing out ex- specifically for DataGuard? Yeah, um, we start as a pure privacy play. And that was exactly the right thing to do. Focus, focus, focus. It's really mm-hmm. key to be successful, especially in the early days. And then we added InfoSec and preference management with the acquisition, as Thomas mentioned, which was um, yeah, big step and was quite a bit of a bet. Um, less so from the market, because we knew exactly that the market is going to be there, but for complexity reasons. If you take like the SAS playbooks, uh, you would say, don't do this so early. But we believe that multi-product is exactly the thing that our customers need. And now we want to become a broader platform. And I think the last months we did a big step with adding um, whistleblowing, but also adding integrations. If you want to be the one-stop shop, you have to make sure that there are integrations to other project management tools. So if our customers use Asana or Monday.com or something else, but also to um, areas where there's a lot of personal data, be it the CRM systems, 
Salesforce, HubSpot, or be it like the PeopleOps systems like Pezonio. And I think that's what we exactly did, adding integrations that we can be the one-stop shop and um, yeah, for broader compliance and security. Now the complexity is what are the frameworks that are really important for a vast majority of our customers, both SMB and, and mid-market, and what's the next big wave that really makes sure um, because if you had too many frameworks and there's a complexity that we had our organization and I think that's always a balance as a founder I think it's our job um, to be visionary and see the next mm -hmm. thing but at the same time as a founder it's also our responsibility to make sure that we can execute and I think finding that a balance is not always easy fair enough um, now how are you going about growing the company at present you'd mentioned that you use some of the series B for international expansion but like, how are you expanding like your customer portfolio? How are you kind of like amping up, amplifying the profile of DataGuard so that people know to come find you if if they need any type of privacy and security matters? Yeah, so I think one thing is that uh, privacy, information security, compliance is still such a massive white space. So you still have millions of companies not doing very much, not having bought a, a software vendor or from a software vendor yet. So it's a massive, massive white mm -hmm. space. And we know that just with the existing products and just in the existing markets, with that, we could build a pretty sizable business. Um, but like Kivanch said, the ambition is to really build a broad all-in-one platform and and really offer that in, in multiple countries around the world, right? But I think we are always trying to toe that line between how much complexity we bring in, both from a geographic perspective and a frameworks perspective, and kind of how much do we stay focused on our existing base and, and, and our existing product line. But yeah, obviously, we want to expand the kind of brand recognition. And um, right now, we you know do all the channels that that you would uh, think of in in SaaS. So we uh, do kind of you know, paid marketing, mm -hmm. um, online marketing, uh, SEO, and, and and content. Right, thought leadership is really important to us. So we do also try and be on on the conferences um, and 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 on the expert panels, um, reaching out to customers that way. And then we have uh, partners such as Deutsche Telekom in, in Germany, for instance, or systems integrators that we, we work with um, that distribute our product. Um, we have product partners too, like Kevansh mentioned earlier, for instance, in whistleblowing, in pen testing. Again, because you don't have to build every single thing on the platform to offer a broad solution to customers. Sometimes we partner with other co uh, companies that we think have a, have a best-in-class uh, solution and, and offer that via, via our platform. What are your primary customer acquisition channels? You touched on that briefly. Is it like primary, like uh, through LinkedIn or Facebook? Like, where would you typically onboard or like acquire a new customer? Customers that have a need um, typically go to Google and search for the terms, be it privacy, mm -hmm. infosec, and the frameworks. And there, we're quite strong. We've been quite strong since day one on paid channels. So, be Google ads, Bing ads, and, and LinkedIn um, ads. Okay. Now, that we also focus on customers that perhaps don't have immediate need. And it's more about education. It's really important that the content play, but also webinars um, are there um, to really educate first and um, sometimes also do outbound um, companies that we know that they have a specific need um, to proactively approach them. And, um, and then, but also stay in touch with them for longer. 
and then say, hey, we are close to you guys in that city. We have a really big event. Do you want to join? And really make sure that once they have the need, we are there. So we are getting better and better. And those customers that don't have immediate need, but we have first have to be educated. And I think one good example is this too. Thomas mentioned already, it's a European-wide regulation about uh, InfoSec. We can mm-hmm. think this like GDPR um, for InfoSec. No one is 100% prepared yet. It's, it was a GDPR two years before, but it's something that's going to come in the next months. And there's a lot of education needed, um, both for uh, mid-market companies, but SME. And that's where we started with uh, big newspapers and other um, partners, a lot of webinars educating the companies mm-hmm. and also building our product out. Uh, so when the last details are set, uh, we're going to be the first ones offering the solution. You also have an annual cybersecurity trend report, if I'm not mistaken. And that I, I assume like kind of serves uh, on the one hand to solidify your position as a as a thought leader on the subject and to educate people. Yeah, that's exactly. It's one of the um, great things about having the experts in house. Um, so we built the whole company around experts. And if you are really close to the customers and know what also authorities and the other partners in the system are doing, uh, you're able to build the bridge um, from civilians to the professionals. And one, one artifact that yeah, works really well are the reports where we see macro tents and try to um, help our customers, but also prospects. Sure. And it keeps you also engaged with your customer base, with your community or however you want to describe them. Um, another thing, and you touched on this, you said the magic word event. You guys have an event coming up and actually two. Um, and tell me about the, the epic event that's coming up. So I'm assuming like you, yeah, just tell me about it. I don't actually want to provide any more context yeah. from my end. Yeah, so uh, EPIC stands for European Privacy, Information Security and Compliance, and we call it the EPIC Summit. Um, It's our flagship customer event. It's on the 28th of September in Munich and on the 5th of October in London. So yeah, we've got these two events. Uh, You can attend remotely uh, as well. Ambitious timing, though, as somebody who works for a company that puts on an event (laughs) once a year. You have a one-week turnaround. (laughs) <laughs> we do we do and uh and it's all going to work out beautifully and smoothly yes. of course uh, i hope uh we're keeping our thumbs pressed um no but we'll have some awesome people there um for instance uh max schrems who's uh you know kind of internationally well known uh, a privacy advocate and an enthusiast um you know uh, obviously kind of largely responsible for uh taking down the uh U.S. Uh, European Privacy Shield, and um, yeah, we have people like him, but we also have uh, heads of uh, regulatory authorities. We have lots and lots of practitioners uh, that are speaking about how they're operationalizing privacy, information security, and compliance in in their enterprises or in their organizations. How they're going about risk management, and uh, yeah, so it, it should be it should be a really interesting event um, for those who are kind of nerds in the space, but also really just for people who are you know a little further away from the topic and and kind of want to wrap their heads around um, some of the basics. Uh, and, and, and so there should be, should be something for, for the different kind of levels of yeah, knowledge and, and maturity in this space. All right. Well, I mean, good luck with that. That's good. like I said, like a one week turnaround <laughs> for an event. How many people are you expecting to attend? 
we're expecting a few hundred people to uh, attend each of the events. Okay. So, um, yeah. It'll yeah, be sure. Um, now, you mentioned Max and what he did um, regarding like uh, U.S. legislation, like the ripping down some of that, at least is how uh, with uh, regard to the EU. And I wanted to ask you about that. So, like, it's just uh, some of the major differences and or hurdles between privacy in the U.S. as it uh, re- pertains to the EU. Um, so, one of the friend of Omar, someone who's been in the Omar podcast and come to the festivals before, is a professor from NYU, uh, Scott Galloway. He's also a co-host of Pivot, um, c- contributor to CNN, if you don't know. And he had this to say about privacy regulation in, in the EU with regard to big tech. is, And it, it was... The regulation that the EU has passed has exponentially more teeth, has more meaning, and is more elegant than anything that has happened in the U.S. And I wanted to get your guys' expert take on, like, why do you think that is? And is it maybe just a willingness to prioritize privacy in the EU on the customer side? Um, how, how do you guys see that? Why is the EU much more effective at passing legislation than the U.S.? Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously when we looked uh, at the, you know, big four, Magnificent Seven, uh, so, so many different uh, different names, um, you look at Apple, for instance, they really, um, the last couple of years did um, rebrand themselves uh, as uh, as a, yeah, as an advocate for data privacy. And, um, and, and, you know, some of that is met with cynicism because, they, you know, they don't have a clean sheet sure. everywhere. But you can clearly see how um, they took a different stance versus the Googles and the Facebooks. And to be fair, that is the privacy paradox, right? On the one hand, we want free products, and uh, we, you know, obviously want to use the the the, the Google mm-hmm. suite and 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 kind of the social media. And on the other hand, uh, in all these kind of uh, what do you call them? Uh, sur- in, in consumer surveys, you can see that um, people do very much care about uh, how their data is processed, and uh, and that that it it is in fact protected right and that's kind of the 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 privacy paradox that on the one hand we do opt into um things that give us more personalization and and a more customized experience online and on the other hand we do want our data to 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 remain protected sure yeah we want the products to actually work but we want to be remain anonymous or at least have some say in like how our data is used um yeah speaking of reckless speculation um Penalties for non-compliance seem to kind of vary widely, and a lot of the times they seem like nothing more than a slap on the wrist when you put them into the context of like some of the annual revenues and sums of money that the Googles and Facebooks and Amazons of the world are actually uh, actually making. And so, do you think it is intentional for some of these companies to flaunt the rules that they bake in some of these? possible fines into their marketing costs and uh, spe- and reckless reckless speculation it's just weird but, uh, maybe yeah, it just seems <laughs> yeah. like very um not in yeah. proportion to or it's not in any way a deterrence for like some of these big companies like the minuscule fines that they get like if i would put that in the context of all the revenue i'm getting like i would not really care Scott, what we, you can definitely say is that they take it serious now, at least. So it's one is the fine, but the other bit is what they do really against it. And we know that um, they're investing heavily in compliance and privacy and infosec experts. Mm-hmm. Um, you can call them lobbyists or experts, depending sure. on how you see it. Um, but they really want to make sure that they find the line because they also noticed that times changed. So the way they did, they can't do it anymore. 
and for sure they're trying to influence it to their uh, needs, but they know that without any privacy compliance, their business model is not going to work anymore. Um, so they're heavy, yeah, heavy investing, sometimes trying to also recruit our great people. Um, mm-hmm. That's why we know that. And um, so at least expert-wise, expertise-wise, and taking serious-wise, there's a huge change the last five years. Um, okay. So I wouldn't do, say it's just the fines, but also all the investment to really on the legal side, but also on their deep tech side, making sure they're getting more and more compliant. All right. What, other than the uh, Epic event, uh, the Epic summits that are coming up, what uh, what do you guys have in store? What is it, what is going on at DataGuard at the moment? Oh, there's a lot going on at DataGuard at any given time. Um, like like we said earlier, right, It it it's very much still kind of a day one mentality, I think, right? Because uh, we see so many businesses out there that um, aren't doing enough mm-hmm. yet um, on compliance and security, but they're willing to invest. And I think that's probably also how um, the markets changed over the last couple of years, right? That um, it really went from, we're not doing anything. We also don't really see um, why and how we should be doing something about security and, and compliance. And I think that's really kind of rapidly changed over the last couple of years that we've we've been in this market. And um, like we said earlier, that it, it is a balance between how many frameworks do we keep mm-hmm. adding and how many geographies do we keep adding. But that's exactly what's what's going on at DataGuard, right? We're building out the product, um, trying to make it deeper and 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 broader, um, so that it really becomes a true all-in-one platform for for customers from from different industries. And uh, at the same time, yeah, we're pushing ahead with uh, international expansion, um, and and you know. Uh, want to make the jump uh, into more countries and, and and serve more customers because at the end of the day if our core purpose is protect the people behind the the data um, then doing that for as many organizations as possible and and helping them kind of uh, build bridges uh, between their business needs mm-hmm. and, and 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 becoming more compliant and secure businesses then uh, yeah that that means we'll we'll keep on growing uh, for the foreseeable future well excellent Gentlemen, thank you so much for the uh, data uh, security and information security education. Thomas Kivanch, David Degard, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. It was fun. Buzz. That's it. That's our show, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between and beyond. I want to thank Thomas and Kivanch for taking the time to talk to me today and to thank you, of course, for listening. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend. And don't forget to subscribe. Until we talk again, Swim with a buddy.